welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Varum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast. Good to be back. We're doing it. <laughs> we are. After our seven hiatus. Eighth month eight month hiatus. So as you heard in our last episode, we were gone for a while. So uh, if you're if you didn't listen to that episode and you're curious why we were gone, you can go listen to that and uh, find out all the details. Uh, but we will not talk about that in this episode. This episode is going to be all about the Wheel of Time, Book Three, The Dragon Reborn, and we're going to be doing the first half of the book. So we're going to be doing the prologue to about chapter thirty-two, uh, which is when uh, basically everybody starts off on their quest. So. Uh, Egwene and uh, Nynaeve, Nynaeve and, and Elaine. Elaine. They all go. Everyone's going converging on a uh, tier. Is it tear or tear? Tear. Okay, that's. I thought it was tear, but yeah, the city of tear. Yep. Yeah. So everyone's converging on that city, and um, chapter thirty-two is where people kind of launch off and they start their their movement toward that area. So that's what we'll break and then in the second part in the next episode we'll talk about uh chapter 33 until the end of the book so that'll be the plan for the next two episodes and uh yeah as always if you want to uh check out pages of light content you can go to our website pagesoflight.com and you can also find us on social medias and all those different things so uh check all of those things out if you would like uh yeah i don't know any other any thoughts on just book three of Wheel of Time, Gabe? Just general thoughts. Like, did you like it more than the other two books? Where you? What are you feeling? Um. Yeah, I, I mean, they're they're all up there for me. I just, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's any better. I I like the first book. I know you like your um, <laughs> your linear story progression, and like I kind of like the spontaneity of the first book, where there's like. Where, where were we when that shadow monster showed up or um, where they met Mordith? Oh, and, and like Shea Al Ghul or whatever. Oh, no, not yeah, Shea Al Ghul. Is that where Wait. it was? That location. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah like, the, like, the, like the Black City or whatever where, all the, where the, even the Trollocs don't want to go in. Yep, that's exactly what I thought, where the Trollocs were to go. Shadow Logoth. Yes, Shadow Logoth, that's right. Shadow Got there in the end. The other location is <laughs> where they go at the very end of the book, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, <laughs> and Shale Ghoul is where um, yeah. the Dark One is imprisoned. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah. It's interesting because Rand is not in a lot of this book. Yeah, even though it's and called The Dragon it, Reborn. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it is it is his story, but we are getting told it from, you know, other perspectives. So that was that was a departure from like the first two books. And um, and I like that because we get to develop our character like we're learning a little bit more about um, Matt and Perrin um, are. Our two other Tavaran characters. Thank you. 
That's why we do this as a team. Because we, <laughs> I was like, Tavirin, I'm totally losing it tonight. Okay, it's okay. We're just a little tired. We're, we're both parents, and, and, and <laughs> we're rusty because we haven't done a we haven't done a real podcast in seven months. So, Cor- correct. I do need to get the rust off. I feel like next time we record, I'm gonna be like good to go. Um, yeah. This one's just gonna be a little rusty. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So you, you liked book three? You think you, you liked the fact yeah. that uh, we got to explore some of the other characters? Um, I I like that part of it as well. I was kind of disappointed it wasn't didn't have a little bit more Rand in it. I thought it would have been nice to have a little bit more uh, stuff with him. Like if we cut to him for like a few chapters in the middle of the book, that would have been nice. Because um, we kind of only really get him for the beginning before he leaves the party. And then we get some a few things like with Egwene where she sees him in a, in the dream world, um, and he thinks that she's like a like a fake an impersonation from the Dark One, um, but she's mm-hmm. actually not. And uh, then we get to see him at the very end, of course, uh, but we won't talk about that just yet. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I did like to being able to explore some of the other characters though, because in books one and two it was basically just all Rand. And we really only got stuff about the other characters whenever they were interacting with Rand. Um, at least the other two guys, the other two boys. Um, you still got the plot line with Egwene and Nynaeve when they went to fight the Shan Chan or they got captured over there in book two. Um, but I think it's really like we didn't get a lot of Perrin and Matt uh, until this book. So that's been really good. So, yeah, what I was thinking was that Rand... Um it's interesting because there's a there's a part in a chapter where there was uh they ride into a town it's moraine Perrin, and lan and they're talking to the innkeeper um and he's describing rand like i wonder if he's all there he would laugh when no one said anything and uh and he's like you know i think he's going a little mad so it was interesting to see rand from that perspective like kind of like we don't know what's going through Rand's head and you're seeing this sure. like third party observer like yeah. saying like yeah he seemed kind of crazy <laughs> um which makes so sense because the dragon reborn is supposed to kind of start to mad. lose his mind yeah and so like i thought that was an interesting way to kind of like develop that because um you know i think that um we get a good job of knowing his thought process, but to not be involved in that thought process and just kind of get that outsider's view. I thought that was, that was an interesting tactic uh, to use. Yeah. And, you know, we've been inside Rand's head for two books. So um, I yeah. thought that was an interesting little bit of uh, writing to kind of do it that way. I don't think I've encountered that much before. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So that was stuff that I, I definitely like that. Is there anything you didn't like? about this book it's such a small thing right now but like um who are the two white cloaks that we're supposed to know it's like the two names are so close it gets on my nerves it's born hall and yeah buyer yeah and the jared buyer <laughs> and uh born hall yeah and i get those two mixed up so much and i don't like I know one of them hates Perrin, and yeah, th- those two that that frustrates me. Um, yeah. Well, in the prologue, we have P- 
Pedron Nile, who is the like the leader of the White I think Cloaks. He's the, he's the leader of the White Cloaks, yeah. And um, the the Bornhold guy, I think he was the person who died at the end of book two. Um, at Almuth Plain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he has a son. Yeah, we meet his son with uh, Egwene and Nynaeve and the Aes Sedai when they're traveling back to the White Tower. Mm. Yes. I don't remember his name, but... Um, yes. That's kind of reminiscent of Rand meeting... And I think it was Bornhall in the city in the first book. Um, you know, he meets them. They have a negative encounter because um, Matt, like... Yeah, whenever they go to that inn, right? And they get all that mud on them. And um, so they leave, like, the white cloaks leave with a bad taste in their mouth there. And then um, same thing happens with our three uh, Aes Sedai in training. Yeah. Cool. The, uh, the, so just to talk a little bit about more about the prologue. it's interesting. So there's a conflict of interest that I can't figure out. So maybe you can help me think about it. So he's got the questioner in there. So we're talking about Pedro Nile, who's like the leader of the White Cloak. And yep. he has he hatches this plan to preserve Rand's life. So he says, I want you to make sure that he, you know, that he is safe and that, um, like, if... He's, I forget the questioner's name, but he's like, if he dies, you're going to die. And then um, he kind of rolled the dice with that. He knew he knew it could go either way. Like he could be charged with treason and killed. Pedro Nile could be killed. Or he could get this guy to follow his idea. So that's what happens. Sure. And then what is the motivation of that? Is it really what he states? So his statement was, Pedro Nile was like, how do you control a town? And it's like... You loose a lion and then you take that lion down and then you give commands and then you give the next command and people followed it because you saved them. And then you kind of keep giving commands and that's how you gain influence. And so he tells the questioner, keep Rand alive. And he stated that as the reason. And then he's visited by um, the Merdral. And um, then the Merdral says, you know, if... Um, you are not, um, if you don't kill Randall Thor, yeah. like in the next month or two, then we will take one of your, um, one of your kin and family. Yeah. Um, I think that is a different character though. He talks to the merge all shows up to Yakim Cardin and not Jared Byer. So it's a different character, but there is still, oh, I thought, there's still a conflict within the White Cloaks. So you have one person in the White Cloaks trying to save Rand, and then you have someone else in the White Cloaks who's being blackmailed by the Murdral to mm-hmm. kill Rand. So you have two factions in the White Cloaks who are trying to do opposite things, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was Pager Nile in both situations. And then we also get a glimpse into Mordith. Um, I think that's who the character is. I mean, it's like one letter off or something. <laughs> well, um, is it Ordeeth, you mean? Ordeeth? Um, maybe it's Ordeeth, but 
it's Mordeth, right? <laughs> that was my thought. It was like he showed up from Almuth Plain. He had this information that the White Cloaks didn't have, and he found his way up to Pager Nile. Um, and he's and he knows about Randathor and the three Taviran from the small, you know, yeah. the two rivers. Um, that sounded like Mordith, but yeah, he was using a an alias or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at the wiki here, and Ordith it says that that's Padon Fane. Maybe he has an alias, I guess, as Ordith for the uh, White Cloaks. I don't know if that was yeah. revealed or if that's like a spoiler <laughs> from the wiki, but. So that's I why think it's, it, you're it's like, probably, I, it's probably um, mentioned. Yeah. I think it's like, you can deduce it. Like, yes. cause that's what I was thinking. So that's probably uh, why like he knows that he knows about the three Taveran because, uh, he was in their town, uh, year after year, bringing them stuff yeah. for Beltine yeah. and, and yeah. things. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting. And that kind of like later in the book, they, you know, they say something like the white cloaks find a way not to be near us, not to be near Rand. And it's always like, so they, they, he does circle back with that with like an observation from Moraine. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was, I felt like it was like that prologue was dense. I mean, it was like a longer part. Um, but I guess he had to accomplish, um, a lot of things. I feel like the prologues are always dense. Yeah. It's kind of like the overarching plot <laughs> that Robert yeah, Jordan it, is developing. Yeah, it like it kind of like launches some of the storylines for the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool. So after the prologue, we have uh, basically chapters about one through nine is uh, Perrin's story essentially, and so we have them in this camp i can't remember where they are in in terms of like the map i think they're still Mm -hmm. kind of close to uh almoth plain or whatever that's called um Mm -hmm. which is where they uh where rand where the end of book two happened where rand claimed himself as the dragon reborn and the horn was blown and all the you know people came back to fight for uh matt because he blew the horn um, but basically we have, uh, at the beginning we have Rand like struggling with, uh, more rain about what he should be doing as the dragon reborn. And so we get a lot of, uh, Perrin talking to Rand and him talking about like, I have, I feel this like immense sense of duty if I'm going to be the dragon reborn and people all around, you know, the country are starting to take up arms to side with the and dragon pledge reborn. themselves yeah. to the dragon reborn. And so they're fighting and dying for him, but he's just sitting out, hanging out in this camp, doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, and he feels like that's a waste of time. And he's basically letting people die for him for no reason. And, uh, and Moraine basically says like, you can't like, you can't go do anything because you don't have like control of your powers. Like you, like if you go into a battlefield, like you're not going to be able to like, you could harm other people uh, and all this kind of stuff. Cause he's not trained as like an ISA. Like he doesn't know how to control his one pa- control the one power. 
Um, yeah, Sidine. Yeah, Sidine, the uh, male half of the of the the true source. Um, it's tainted by the dark one. Yeah, doomed uh, to go mad. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, so I just thought that was like an interesting like conflict that he has within himself, and it's he feels so much of a duty that he just leaves the party. Uh, I think it's at the end of was that like chapter four or five or something, uh, where he just mm-hmm. leaves, and um. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can certainly empathize with Rand and like how why he thinks that he needs to go and make do something because he like he feels like he's just gonna go crazy just sitting there doing nothing and uh and he's also if he's fearful of like hurting other people because in was it chapter one of the chapters there's like a trollic attack essentially at their camp and he causes like this big earthquake or something to happen and he's kind of afraid of hurting those hurting the people around him so he just wants to leave and like basically do things on his own. Um, yeah. I don't know. What did you think of like Rand's struggle uh, with his sense of duty versus like maybe doing like the smart thing, like what more, more rain tells him to do um, mm-hmm. and just kind of staying put and uh, maybe thinking about how best to go about a situation instead of just trudging off and like pouting almost in a way where he's kind of i mean he is still like a kid right so you kind of have to like cut him a little bit of a slack right because yeah yeah and he's like in a mentally stressful situation like knowing that you're like knowing the fact well he's still questioning am i the dragon reborn i think at one point he says yes you know i'm gonna go try and find calendar um and this will kind of prove that i am the dragon reborn so he's still questioning that but just to have the possibility knowing that your life is going to break the world (laughs) and like affect so many people like that's a huge thing to swallow and, you know, his response is very teenage and very human. You know, he kind of runs off and do his own thing. And, it, and you know, as we think about a biblical perspective on this, like, I it draws me to, like, obedience to God. Um, you know, God is the small whisper, the voice that you kind of have to listen for. And, you know, it's hard to hear his whisper sometimes and submit to what he's asking you to do. Um, and your own thoughts and your own plans seem most relevant and most important. And, um, yeah. And we, we often strike out on our own, even those of us who are on the path. I mean, like, I feel like I'm on the path and then sometimes I open my eyes and I'm like, Whoa, I'm like not treating people the right way. My heart is not like in the right spot. Um, like I'm not having a servant's attitude and, and like, uh, I had a friend just on one time. He said, God is like a GPS wherever you are in life. He can like redirect you and get you back to where you need to be. You just have to be willing to listen and willing to obey. Um, and it's tough because like, um, well, God's ethereal and he's not on this plane and you, you have to listen for his stuff and like, uh, you know, in the Bible, obviously is the best place to listen to what God is trying to tell you, like being in the word and being in the scriptures. 
but listening to like your pastor and listening to your friends who um, are Christians and are in in the Bible, like God can speak to you in many ways. Um, I always find like when things happen in threes, like that's God like tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you need to pay attention. Sure, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and that, that hasn't happened in a while, but there was a time where like I was being challenged on like... Um, the purity of my thoughts and um like it just like different bible like totally unconnected things like bible project my random readings in the bible sermon from my church like yeah. those three things are the only thing in common is me but like they're all like yeah. kind of relaying the same message within like the same week I'm like okay all right <laughs> yeah gotta drill into whatever this is yeah. um and it's hard because Moraine is kind of trying to be that guiding voice for Rand, but she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know how to tell him how to, like, you know, control his powers. And he got frustrated and left. And I think it's a very human thing to do. <laughs> I think he, I think that plays right along with, um, yeah, you know, Robert Jordan's development of his character. Like, He's just a kid struggling and trying to find his way, and he got fed up with the authority in his life and peaced out. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of just like trying to figure it out along the way, and he was kind of just like thrust into this, like he is the the quote chosen one, right? You know, mm-hmm. Frodo Gandalf shows up and he's like, "The ring is yours. You have to take it." To Mount Doom, like this task was just like put upon him, like he didn't ask for it, and sure. um, so it's not, and it's it's weird because now his his friends, so like Perrin has a thing where he says, "Are we still friends? Can we be? Like even now? Like is it's almost like they're kind of like thinking about like what how things used to be, and if they can even go back to the way things used to be, can they be friends anymore because of?" who rand is now like he's now the super important figure on like a global you know country scale and yep. like this like basically the weight of the world is on his shoulders and so like is there even room to just be friends with that person or is the, his duty to the world like he's he's basically like not allowed to live a normal life now because um, everything around him is going to be yeah uh changing and that was a choice that he didn't make (laughs) yeah exactly um yeah it's you can empathize with ran and but i feel like the people around him maybe yeah two things can be true at once like rand isn't you know making a good decision because he is a kid in this in a in a sense but the adults around him aren't really like doing a good job of like trying to be on his side and like hear hear things from his perspective and like really listen to him and maybe try to like compromise or something like that because i feel like moraine and lan are just kind of like you're gonna do what we say and that's it like there's gonna be no discussion about it at all Mm -hmm. and like in uh chapter was it chapter five like right before he leaves uh at the end of chapter five they're talking to rand and lan is just like you just need to be a man and suck it up essentially is what Lance <laughs> says to Rand. And, yeah. um, I mean, a part of me likes that kind of approach, but a part of me is like, that's not really like a, 
that's not going to solve his concerns about the future and what he's trying, what he needs to do. Just telling somebody to suck it up or whatever. It's like, I mean, that's great. I mean, I can try to do better, but like that doesn't actually help me with my own struggle or that doesn't give me a direction to uh, kind of seek or that doesn't mean you're going to help me. It just says like, you just need to figure it out on your own and we're not going to help you. You just need to, you know, figure it out and just, you know, I don't know. I just don't like that really. That approach doesn't really help Rand. And that's probably one of the reasons why he just leaves because he feels like nobody is really on his side and nobody is really in his court in a sense. And he doesn't have anybody who, who he can turn to. I mean, he talks to Perrin, but like at the same time as like, he doesn't, Perrin can't possibly understand the weight of what's on Rand's shoulders. And so right. Perrin can try to be as good of a friend as he can, but he just really can't fully under- comprehend of what Rand is going through. So it's just a, a tough situation all around. Yeah. Uh, I think the term that I would bring to Lan and Moraine is called tactical empathy from uh, Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, where you can validate someone's feelings without necessarily agreeing with them. Um, mm. But it's it's the practice of verbalizing um, what someone has said to you. It's kind of like a summary or something, like where you kind of say back to them what, they've, what you've heard, um, and it makes them feel validated because their words are coming out of your mouth and uh, that's kind of the opposite of suck it up and <laughs> like, which also I don't think teaches good like coping skills or, you know, like, like suck it up was like the 1950s, like I feel like tagline, like, you know, oh, you don't like it? Suck it up. Uh, you don't want to do that? I don't care. You got to do it anyway. You know, yeah. like that seems to be like yeah. an older way of thinking. And I think, you know, mental health and way, the way that we treat individuals as individuals has come a long way, but there's still, um, and, and, but then there are also people that very much respond to that. And like, I, I feel like it's almost good for them. And I, sure. so it's hard to, it's hard to like figure out where each person is on the spectrum because I have the capacity to do both. I have the capacity to be very caring and understanding and then when my younger self was more like, and it just like, <laughs> get it together. I, I don't man. like the term. Yeah. Get it together. Like shut up and do it. I don't like saying shut up to people. I think it's yeah. incredibly rude. So I don't say it anymore, but yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's how I used to do it. Um, yeah. But, and yeah, so it's just like, you know, you're supposed to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And that is such a misconception. I think when it comes to like, like, because the way that you like things done to yourself is so incredibly personal because of your history and your background and your relationships, yeah. like, like you want to be treated with respect, right? As, what, as what most respect men looks do. like is different to different people. Yes. That is exactly the point I'm trying to make. Like yeah. the way that you be respect, like some person might, you know, think that, oh, like, may I wear my shoes in your house is like a, you know, something like that's a respectful thing. And someone like, I don't care about that, you know? So like in their minds, they're like, oh, I'm showing them the respect that I, you know, want them to give to me. But then you, you have to dial in and kind of tailor those interactions to like, 
understanding who that person is and like what they truly need to be loved, respected, you know, all those things that we want for ourselves. Um, and people get so caught up in like, well, this is the way I would have done it. And I don't sure. care about this thing. Like they, they get so like into their own mindset about things that they can't be open to like be there for someone else in the way that that person needs them to be there, yeah. needs them to be there for them. Um, that was a little bit of a, <laughs> a yeah, side quest there, but it was, uh, yeah. I, I just think that that's something that comes up a lot in Christianity is um, treat others as you would like to be treated. But then it's, and then we don't take it far enough to, to explain that caveat of the way that you might receive love might be completely different from the way that um, the person that you're trying to take care of needs to receive love. Um, yeah. And I, I think people that leads to a lot of confusion and like, Oh, I thought I was doing the right thing and this stuff doesn't work and yeah. Frustration and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yes, Rand, he leaves the party and, um, he's going to on a quest to acquire a sword that only the dragon reborn can take essentially which is a very uh, Arthurian sword in the stone kind of mm -hmm. idea. Um, I like that. Uh, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but how Robert Jordan will like repackage myths in our own history and repackage them in like a, a fantasy kind of sense. Like he re he retells like Arthurian legends uh, in the wheel of time, uh, which is a cool idea. And, uh, yeah, so that's where he's going and that's where he, how he thinks he will be able to prove once and for all, if he is the dragon reborn, if he can take the sword, then that's it. He's the dragon reborn and he has no more, uh, excuses to like question it, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. so that's basically Rand's, uh, that's where basically where we leave off Rand until the end of the book. Essentially, uh, we have one or two chapters or interludes sections of chapters with him um but not that much um but that's basically his quest and we get to see a lot of stuff along like throughout the book of like how rand is affecting people around him because he is Tavaren, and so like anywhere that he goes something is being affected in the world around him so like in the first uh, uh i think it's chapter eight they go to this town it's called jara and basically yep. there's like a bunch of weddings that had just happened there for essentially no reason to the people in the town, but it was because that was because Rand had passed through the town and he is like shaping the pattern around himself. And so things happen because he was there that they, that otherwise wouldn't have happened essentially. Um, I think that's an interesting Do you think that concept. people exist in our, in our world that are, Tavirin, like just being in their present, like changes your life trajectory. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely like people. If you think about it from like a biblical perspective, I think there's definitely mm -hmm. like times where God can put somebody in your life for a specific purpose, um, who can mm -hmm. change the trajectory of your life. Um, maybe you're like struggling with some kind of an addiction or something like that, or you. 
uh, you meet somebody and you have like a new business opportunity and that person like changes your, the course of your career for the rest of your life. Um, whereas if you didn't meet that person, then you might have went down a completely separate pathway, right? So, Both of those things have happened to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I do think in a sense that is that can happen. Um, but I think those things are more. They're more like tailored to the individual and they're they're more. Well, I wouldn't say coincidence, because if if God put them in your life, then it's not coincidence, but. I don't think yeah, there, God I don't, is the I don't source think, of all things good. I don't think there are just people inherently who have that effect. I think that's more of a God is bringing somebody into your life for a specific purpose. Um, and it's not, it's nothing about that individual person that is special. It's uh, how God is using that person in your life to do something in your life. Kind of an idea if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense because I, I like, I was thinking about how I would not ha be a business owner right now if I had not worked at um, my the private school that I worked at, and then I was helping um, this woman like get all of her data off of her school computer, and then we right. weren't done, and then she hired me, and and now I like have a business. It's a very small business, Neighborhood Nerd Services, um, and. Uh, like I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, past two years have been good with clients pretty regularly. It's kind of slowing down. So I'm hoping to focus a little bit more on the podcast and kind of start doing some content creation. Um, but this is kind of like a trajectory because that person was in my life. And then um, I worked with a counselor who helped shape the direction why I have my instructional technology degree. I was really debating on going into psychology because I like psychology. I had taught it for several years, um, but we discussed that I get too involved in other people's problems. So <laughs> just having a job where that was my responsibility was to help people with their problems could be a little too all consuming for me. So went with the technology route. I'm very happy with it so far. <laughs> I'm glad you're happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely true where you can, you maybe never would have started a small business if that person hadn't come into your life and asked you to do something for them. And then that sparked something new that you, uh, had the opportunity to do something else and, uh, make a new, like create some kind of new impact in the world that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, um back to Jara real quick. So that's sure. the town where all these people get are getting married. Um another thing was that some white cloaks said they're no longer going to be white cloaks. Um mm, that's right. Moraine, I forgot about that. Moraine said that that sealed the deal that Rand had been through there. And yeah. uh and then we have a little um sort of wolfman reveal where Perrin is talking to the um, the helping hands at the inn, and he's like, "Oh, I knew she was an Aes Sedai, and I, I need her help." And oh, um, yeah. Perrin Perrin finds his another wolf brother there, um, and Moraine kind of like assesses this yeah. man in a cage, and she's just like, "There's no part of him that's human that's left. He's yeah. pure animal now. He um, went full wolf." He, yep. Um, <clears throat> And, and we see in the chapters that Perrin is constantly fighting it 
Um, he starts dreaming of Hopper, an old wolf um, that died saving him, um, taking out some white cloaks. Um, and that's interesting, like ghost wolf, like being parents like spirit guide it's um it's interesting i don't think they use the term spirit guide but like that's kind of what i think of when um hopper shows up um but yeah and then that like that could be a possibility for parent that he just goes full wolf if he doesn't um watch himself and you know he does a good job of like reining in his thoughts and trying to not embrace the wolf side of him yeah. Um, which is kind of a struggle we all have with sin and like naturally like tending yep. towards like, like, oh, this is the way I naturally am. And like, if you want to follow God, you have to be like parent and be like, nope, I'm going to shut it down. Kind of <laughs> shut that part of my life down. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that's a good analogy. And also he, he goes to <clears throat> more rain for, and to like ask for help with, cause he's like, Am I gonna just turn out to be like that? Is it the innkeeper's son? Is that who it was? Is that the relationship? I, but uh, I think it was the brother of like not the innkeeper, but like the the guy who showed him up to the room. Oh, um, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, like he asks Moraine, like, "Can you help me, like, not turn out like that?" And I think that's just like, I thought that was really good from Perrin to like actually ask for help. Cause he could have just let it be a struggle that only he was dealing with. And, uh, not that Moraine even didn't really have that much help to give him because she didn't really know that much about it. Um, but I just like that Perrin was willing to ask for help from somebody that he thought may have had. Well, obviously she has a little bit more knowledge than him about, uh, the magical type things of the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's another parallel if you're trying to say that, you know, his draw towards the wolf side of himself or like this wolf uh, uh, alter ego, I guess, um, is kind of like a our pull towards sin. Like we need to be asking for help who've, from people who have either experienced that same sin or have or are, are older than us who have seen other people deal with it and they could speak into those things in our life. Um, so I think that's just a it's a good picture and a good reminder for us to um, like, you're not alone. Reach out. Yeah. You're not alone in whatever sin that you're dealing with. Like there's nothing new under the sun. Every sin like is been repeated throughout history. Like there's no, no okay. Ecclesiastes. (laughs) (laughs) Ecclesiastes. I haven't, I don't know if I've ever actually read that book just straight through. I've only ever seen small quotes of it, but kind of like he's the author's kind of like a bah humbug he's like nothing's new everything's the same everyone's yeah. terrible all these things <laughs> he's kind of like old and jaded interesting yeah um there's a good bible project video on that on that um book didn't solomon write it it is a book of wisdom i'm not sure who wrote it I know that Solomon wrote the Proverbs. Right. And Song of Solomon, of course. And Song of Solomon. Or Song of Songs. Sometimes it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Anyways, so that's good. Um, what, did you, what did you think of? So we get to explore more of like kind of the, the wolf type stuff. Do you, I kind of like the idea of the, 
how he can like commune with the wolves and especially in book two where he got to like have the uh like he could have like the wolves be on like reconnaissance in a sense and he could they could track the people i just think it's a cool concept of like being in commune communing with the uh the nature of the world um it seems like it's kind of did he have like the dreams in book two because that seems like in this book like it's more of a bad thing like the wolf side kind of stuff and in book two it was more seemed like it was more beneficial like he could like the wolves are helping him and stuff like that but it seems like now i don't the, think he the dream stuff is kind of yeah i think the dreaming is new i, I don't quote me on that but i think like yeah. he like the reconnaissance stuff was more like him like using his wolf telepathy to like right be like one with the wolves and like partner with them like yeah you know young bull we know the the twisted ones are over here and they like right. kind of show him through their thoughts and through their images that they can send to him yeah. um but i think the wolf dreaming is new i think that that's new to this book that it's like moving into his dreamscape yeah um and it's just like it's kind of like a progression, right? Like it's sure, um, something right. that that's new and it's like, he's got to learn to control it and fight it a little bit more. So he doesn't right. get taken over. Well, we have f- how many, there's 14 books in the series if you don't include the prequel. So we'll have to see what happens along the way. If he like, how there's he... a long way to go. We're still like in the the infancy of this. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like hitting stride here. It's yeah. good though. We'll, we'll be in this series for years, for sure. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to happen lightning fast. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna take the we're gonna take the scenic route through the wheel of time, right? We're not. <laughs> we're not gonna blitz through. 14 books straight because i i I am a like like people binge watch you know like netflix and disney's plus i i binge books and i'm like i've done i don't remember how i think i got into book five maybe but like i seriously like can only recall like a few things from those books so like i want to take my time and digest it and like going doing the podcast has really like solidified the timelines in my head but I have a feeling like I'm going to have a short-term memory of like, like just like the two previous books. Like right, as right. We so like when, further, we, when we get I'll be the, like, uh, what happened in that first book? Or like, yeah, oh, that third get, book. When we get to book five, we're like, oh, I can't remember anything about books one through three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, we'll have to re-listen to our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's not narcissistic or anything. <laughs> um, we, we just want to have good content. That's right. That's right. Um, well, anyways, yeah. So parents having the dreams, uh, which does kind of the dream stuff is a big part of this book because you have Perrin with his wolf dreams. And then as we'll talk about in just a minute, we have Egwene, who is like a dream walker and she can mm-hmm. enter the Teleran Riyadh. Teleran Riyadh. Yep. Teleran Riyadh which is like the dream kind of world. And uh, she's able to use this, like the say to channel through so that she can uh, navigate this dream world more effectively. And then we also have Matt who has these dreams of, well, he kind of has the dreams whenever he's uh, still under the curse of the dagger before he gets healed. I think when he has those mm-hmm. dreams about, uh, 
like past battles where he because he blew the horn so he's connected to that horn in some way and so yep. he's re- he's remembering like basically times where that horn has been used from the past figures um is what it seems like is happening so he's remembering those previous battles and stuff like that um so a lot of dream related stuff and then rand is having the dreams as well and the dark one is tempting him in his dreams which we see uh, a lot of in book one and two um and then we get to see Egwene meet Rand in one of these kind of dream areas. And so a lot of dream type stuff. And there is a, in the Bible, there's a lot of uh, talking of, there's different instances of dreams and how God has used dreams historically in the Bible to uh, like warn people about certain things or give prophecies yeah people. communicate with his prophets mm-hmm. yeah um or not even his prophets just people like we have the in daniel we have nebuchadnezzar who gets those dreams about uh you know future kingdoms and empires that are going to rise and fall and all that stuff and then daniel gets to be like the dream interpreter and he can uh, tell him what those dreams mean um so yeah there's a lot of instances and um the Bible of dreams happening and God using dreams for a specific purpose. And even in the new Testament, like we have Joseph gets a dream about, uh, you know, you're not going to divorce Mary. You got to take her as your wife um, because she's giving birth to the son of God. You know, that's important. Um, so don't divorce Mary. Okay. And then the, the wise men get a dream uh, saying like, Herod's basically a bad guy and you should not go and tell Herod. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff with dreams. And, and I found this resource, I was just looking up like dreams in the Bible and, uh, it was talking about like what the purposes of dreams are. And so they just had a few little things where it said dreams can be used as a warning. They could be for prophecy. Um, they could be used to like speak truth to somebody or to give someone a promise of something that will happen in the future to them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, just something to think about, like, as we, like if you're reading this book with us, maybe if you're reading like about the dream sections, like is this dream like a prophecy? Is it a warning for a character? Um, is there, are they getting truth revealed to them? Cause in some instances of the dreams, they get to like almost spy on some of the other characters, like in other real spaces in a sense. So they're getting like truth revealed to them through this, like kind of like dream world, um, which is interesting. Um, so and I actually have a friend um, who, like God speaks to her through her dreams. Um, like she's kind of like, she's had dreams about individuals and then she's like gone and talked to them and like, they've kind of like revealed some like secret that she kind of had an inkling was going on. And like, she's had like, this is something that happens like consistently for her, like across the Hmm. years, like she has these dreams. Um, it's interesting. And Yeah. Um, she, I mean, she has a very strong relationship with the Lord and, um, just like, you know, maybe once or twice a year, there's just some dreams that are like spot on about specific people. And, um, yeah, so I definitely see like in my own life, I have a friend that this is like very relevant to, um, and also it it makes me go back to my psychology days. So I'm going to go teach her on you for a second and kind of talk about uh, dreams. So right, in psychology, go. we talk, 
here we go. We, got to, we talk about different states of consciousness. So you have your like normal consciousness where you're um, awake and then you have uh, times when you are unconscious and that's when you have um, dreaming can occur. And then you also have like altered states of consciousness, uh, which can be, you know, drug induced, like, you know, alcohol or like psychedelics and stuff. Um, right. And then we go into the psychology of the brain. And when you go to sleep, your brain kind of descends through these levels of sleep, like four being the deepest level of sleep. Um, like in the first and second level, I think there's like alpha and beta waves. And then like three and four, like in the stuff that I've looked at, have kind of been grouped together. Um, so you go down through those stages and then you hit four, which is like deep sleep. That's like the time when... Um, like you can shake the person and they're not responding and they're just like completely passed out. And I feel like there's a tie between that and then just like physical exertion and like being tired. Like yeah. the, like if you, you know, if you Tyler were playing like a big hockey game or something and then you go and sleep, like you sleep really hard because of all that physical exertion. And I feel like yep. there's repairing that goes into that fourth stage of sleep Yep. Uh, and then you come back up through the levels and then instead of going to like level one sleep, you hit what's called the REM cycle or rapid eye movement, also known as paradoxical sleep. Uh, it's paradoxical because your mind is very active. You are actually very close to waking during um, REM and that is when you have vivid dreams and that's when you uh, dream. And um, it's paradoxical because you are having dreams, but so you don't act out your dreams, you're actually like paralyzed. And some people will um, say that they are being attacked by creatures in the night and like there's uh, a phantom and like because they feel like their chest compressed and they can't move. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had sleep paralysis, that's what it's called, when you wake up and your body is paralyzed. I had that in my 20s, like when I was um, in Louisiana, I just like, there's a year where it was happening like once a week where I just like be awake, like looking into my room, but not being able to move my arms or my legs. It was very disconcerting. Um, mm. And also there's a thing called REM rebound where if you are sleep deprived and you lay down, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, um, but where you like lay down for a nap and then you go immediately into a dream. That right. means that you you've been sleep deprived because you need REM to kind of like revitalize your, your brain. And like, it's so important that they're like, Nope, we're going to skip straight to this step where we go into, yeah. you know, dreams and REM and stuff. Um, and then we can go down a whole rabbit hole, but I won't take us there on dream interpretation. Sure. Um, well, it's interesting. That last <laughs> thing you said, the REM rebound, uh, because I don't think it's in like, this section that we're going to talk about in this podcast, but I think later in the book, uh, isn't parent basically like avoiding sleep because he doesn't want to have the wolf dreams. And then eventually mm -hmm. he does finally go to sleep and then he immediately goes into a dream. Like he, as soon as he gets to sleep, he's just in a dream. And so I was like, wow, that's exactly <laughs> what happens in the book. Maybe Robert Jordan oh, was, I... uh, he knew some, something about REM rebound in the, uh, in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, yeah. And then there's that. So I, I totally forgot that it happened. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to reread that part before we record our next podcast. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
Sigmund Freud talk about the subconscious mind being able to come out in a less threatening way during dreams. So if you have a recurring dream, it probably means that um, there is something um, yeah. that you are trying to process that you're not fully like, like it is causing angst in your life. I remember two yeah. dreams specifically. One was I would lose my teeth and I would just have gums. And I read up on that and it was like a loss of power. Um, and then I also had these dreams, uh, which I didn't, you know, like that one's like a pretty common one. I feel like um, losing the teeth and having a loss of power. The other one that I had, which is totally like, just very easy to understand is I am driving a car, but I'm driving a car from the passenger seat and I'm like reaching over on, like grabbing the steering wheel and driving from the passenger seat and like reaching my leg over to hit the, the gas pedal and the brake. And that's just like, I don't feel in full control of my life. Like <laughs> I'm like, you know, I should be in the driver's seat doing what I want to do, but instead I'm kind of like, you know, haphazardly driving on a road, trying to stay straight and like, that's not the way you're supposed to drive. So, yes. um, I, I don't have those dreams anymore. So I think <laughs> psychologically good. I'm in a better place. Um, yeah, <laughs> but well, sorry. Good. All right. Lesson, lesson over. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, psychology lesson with Gabe is complete. Complete. Um, Yes, all that, to, all that to say is there's a lot of dreaming in this uh, book. And um, so now we can talk a little bit about uh, Egwene, uh, Nynaeve, and Elaine's uh, kind of plot in this. And basically what they're doing is at the beginning of their section, they're coming back to Tarvalon from being in Toman Head or Almoth Plain or wherever they were with the Shan Chan. Uh, being accompanied by Varen Sedai. And so they're, and they're also taking Matt with them because Matt is still connected to the dagger. And so he still has some kind of, he needs to be like completely detached from the dagger basically. Um, and whatever more rain was able to do wasn't, uh, it was basically like a, like a bandaid over it, but it didn't actually fix the problem. Um, and so mm -hmm. he needs to go to the white tower to get completely healed basically and completely at least separated from the uh, the darkness of the dagger. So that's where they're going. And um, he, uh, so Nynaeve is already uh, an accepted Aes Sedai. Well, she's not, I guess it's just accepted. They don't, they're not an Aes Sedai until they become right after the accepted. Um, what was the, what was the lowest one? I can't remember. Whatever Egwene and Elaine are. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that they call them child, and then when they become accepted, um, they become sisters. Um, right. It's eluding me at this point as well. Yeah. Oh well. We, we'll think of it in a second. <laughs> yeah. Basically, they're on the lowest level, and then uh, so they're gonna they're gonna come back and they're gonna study to be uh, full Isodai, and so they're gonna try and take uh, they're gonna be get up to the accepted level, so they don't have to do all the menial labor tasks. And plus they're it's, it's mentioned a few times that they are some of the more powerful Aes Sedai that have come through the white tower, at least uh, in terms of their innate power. Not that they have a lot 
of learned power, but they just like their raw potential, I guess, is some of the mm-hmm. highest that the White Tower has seen. And so they kind of like put them on the, the speed path and they kind of get to like jump to doing the accepted stuff quicker than somebody normally would. Similar to how what Nynaeve did in book two, like she got to basically go straight to accepted um, because of uh, how powerful she was innately, um, which some people didn't really like that. But the uh, the Amarillo seat can do, do what the Amarillo seat wants to do. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, sorry, I just thought of a parallel between this and Ender's game. Um, okay. When, yeah, when Ender was like promoted through the ranks oh, right. at an accelerated rate because <laughs> the uh, battle with the Formix was looming and the invasion was like happening like in like a year or two. And they're just like, yeah. we got it. We, we, we have to get them through. Yeah. And it's kind of like Tarman Gaiden is coming. Like we have these powerful Aes Sedai in training. Like we need to accelerate their learning and accelerate the, <laughs> you know, their right. ability to be um i said i yeah just a little interlude there (laughs) yeah for sure um yeah and so basically they uh go back to the white tower they get uh they're like in trouble essentially because they left the white tower without telling anybody oh oh, they're in big trouble they're not in little trouble Um. yeah so some people are not very happy and uh i can't remember what the specific punishment was that they were given Oh, like, it was like pots and like yeah, they have yeah, to like wash pots they, and pans for a long time or whatever. Um, even though they yeah, are, like, even though they get to be accepted, they still have to um, do all the do all the menial the menial labor menial clean. Yeah. Um. Um. So let's yeah. Um. Just looking through kind of what happens here. So they so they had a run in with the white cloaks and the girls use their powers, you know, to kind of scare the white cloaks off. And Varen's like, "How could you do that?" Right. Um, and then they come back uh, to the uh, white tower and they have Matt and they um, are confronted by the Amarlin seat who kind of reprimands them and tells them that they will not be kicked out and that they should, you know, be thankful that they're even allowed to stay here and that they are going to, um, basically do anything for anyone. Um, yeah. And And it's it's interesting though, because the, uh, the, the Amarlin, she's kind of like trying to play both sides because she's supposed to be like apolitical in a sense. So she has mm -hmm. to punish them but she also understands how important they are. And so she has to punish them, but she's also going to raise them up to accepted. And so there's like this weird balance of like giving them, giving them what they deserve, but then also realizing, Hey, we need to make sure that like, we need to accelerate their learning because they're going to be helpful in the future battles to come. And so there's like this weird kind of, she has to do like this political dance so that the different, yeah, she does it well for sure. Sorry, continue. Just wanted to throw that out there as like a sidebar. Oh yeah, no, no, I agree. The um, so the Omerlin, you know, dishes out the punishment and everything, uh, and then she invites them. Well, tells Nynaeve and um, Elaine that they are being tapped on the shoulder to do secret mission, Aes Sedai style. They're going to be yeah. hunting the secret Black Aja. Agents. 
Yep. And this kind of is the mission for the rest of the book is that they are trying to figure out anything they can about the Black Aja. She just says, right. Um, and, and this is the part where you asked me like if I didn't like something. This is the part where I was like, this is kind of like hokey. Like you have these untrained, like if they're basic, they yeah. you know they called them wilders, like untrained, like Aes Sedai in, in training, and they're like. Yeah. You are going to hunt down the 13 most, you know, deadly Aes Sedai that we can think of. And you're, you two, you two are responsible for that. <laughs> and, well, it, and it is sugar-coated in the no one will suspect it and, um, you know, no one will ever believe that I've asked this of you. Right. Um, and that's kind of the way that she plays it. But that was the only part that it was like stretching my credulity. I was like. All right. Well, I think they it's actually like smart in a way because she knows that she, like she doesn't know basically like who in the White Tower is Black Aja, and so she doesn't know who she can trust. And so she knows that because they're kind of like outside the system in a sense, like they're not really part of the they White came Tower. from the same town. Right. Yeah. And so they like Moraine actually, found them all at the same time. Right. And so they're actually she can trust them more than she could, you know, people who have been in the white tower for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And so in a sense, it is actually a smart move because one, they're not part of the, of the system Two, there are some of the most powerful Aes Sedai that they have. Egwene, Elaine and Nynaeve are three of the most powerful Aes Sedai that have come through the tower in a long time. And so that is going to be needed if they're going to be fighting the black Aja, because they're going to need to be powerful to overcome those people who have the dark ones power. So I think it's in a way smart, but it is, it does seem kind of hokey in a sense, what you were saying. Um, but yeah, the way you explained it, I mean, that, that makes me buy into it a little bit more. You you are right. Like I think, yeah, the way you explained it was perfect. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm more on board with it. Um, <laughs> cool. So, um, and then we also have a chapter about the gray man. Yeah. That was interesting. Uh, do you want to talk a little little bit about a gray man or should yeah basically the gray man is like he's like an unmarked person i can't remember like the exact description they're like soulless i think is is the way that they they sold their soul to the dark one and they're less than living and um they're like you can't even consider them to be living people right now Um, yeah and when they and when they do this they become like invisible so to speak right just wanted to look up gray man also known as the soldus are creatures of the shadow used as assassins the wolves call them not dead <laughs> not dead what a line <laughs> um yeah yeah that's basically what they are and i think who who does they try to kill is it Egwene? yeah Egwene. Uh, yeah yep and I can't. Egwene and Nynaeve are together. Um, right. and I think there was a. They shot a bolt at them, and then yeah. Um, did yeah? Go ahead. I was gonna ask who, like, because does he dies by stabbing, right? The gray man, and then um, but I don't remember how he got stabbed. Did they stab him or someone else? Yeah. Um just reading here real quick 
Um, it says but, Nynaeve uh, becomes angry enough to channel and uses air to like hold him. So Nynaeve like freezes him essentially. And then um, I think one of the other people there puts a dagger in his chest. The man okay. is already dead with a dagger in his chest. And Moraine has like, so this is the actually the second time we hear about the Grey Men because the first time it's Moraine right um talking with lan and uh lan is surprised that she's sharing this information that people that look like rand in neighboring towns are dying um when no one had access with like a key or anything that they were and that there was no way that the person could have gotten in and out of there and then that's the first time we hear about the gray men and then here they are going into tarval and uh targeting um Egwene and nynaeve um, not successful. And then um, the chapter after that is where um, they tell Elaine about the Black Aja, and then she decides to be on board. Um, Even though they were explicitly told not to tell her. <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, and Elaine, and it ends up being like a, like a point of denial for the Omerlin seat. Like I didn't give her this duty. So like that's on her for doing that. So right. she's again, playing the slippery diplomat where, <laughs> yep. you know, they feel like the puppet strings are on them and <laughs> they're playing to the tune of the Omerlin seat. Well, you know, it supposed, makes you wonder. Well, they're not supposed to tell her because her mother is the queen and there's like some tension between her and the white tower because like they let her, get out of the white tower and they didn't know where she was. And so like, there's this weird tension between the, they almost went to war is yeah. what it sounded like. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then uh, I think see. we go back into the healing. Um, and that's going to be a Matt chapter. Yeah. We get to go back to Matt. Um, I, I think the, the chapters I enjoyed the most were the ones with Matt. What, oh, yeah? what, which which uh, which plot line did you enjoy the most? Did you like the parents? Uh, you know what? I am wolves? enjoying I I am enjoying Matt because um, I just wanted to know more about his character. Like yeah. Rand is a dragon reborn, yeah, and Perrin is turning into a wolf, right? And what's, and Matt what's is going cursed. On with Matt? Yeah, Matt's cursed. You know, and and that's like all we knew. And and it's like, but he's Tavirin. He's just as important as Perrin and and Rand. And there's also this new thing that's like, if you snap one of the cords, then all three snap. So it seems like their fates right. are intertwined. Yeah. And um, that you know, if the Dark One succeeds in killing one of them, that you know, they all will fall. Right. Which is interesting because like, their paths are. At this point in the book, they're very diverse. <laughs> right. Like Matt's in the tower, Rand's by himself, Perrin is like tracking Rand with Moraine and Lan. Uh, they're all like in different places, but they're all under yeah. threat still. What's um, that and then the, in the Bible, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Mm-hmm. So right now they're all just three strands separated out. They need to be. A cord of three strands intertwined. They, yes. need to be, they need to come back together so they can be stronger. <laughs> I like that. Um, and so Matt is um, 
healed and i kind of like that description like how they're um working the eyes to die magic over him and like the dagger doesn't want to go but then it eventually breaks and then he wakes up super hungry like, <laughs> like and that's hungry, just like hungry for the rest of the book <laughs> yeah just like he eats four chickens like two loaves of bread like drinks yeah. all the wine and then drinks the milk and he's just like oh, i think i could have a little bit more yeah. um and so Which that's think, an interesting. I think the the people of the White Tower knew that was going to happen though, because they were like, "You got to eat everything." They were prepared. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So it. So he meets. So can can we just talk through a little bit more of the Matt timeline? Yeah. Or so like he, keep he going with it. Then? Basically, he like wakes up and. A bunch of people from the White Ca- White Tower come in and talk to him, and then um, uh, oh, and, and and an important visitor comes by the name of um, Celine. Celine. Yes, we do get to. I actually had a note to talk about that chapter because that was an interesting chapter. Um, uh, yeah, chapter twenty. It's called Visitations, and so yeah, mm-hmm. we have. So we already met Celine in book two whenever she was with Rand and what was the guy's name? Was it Mazma? Whoever was with him in like that alternate world or whatever. Oh, I um, don't remember. Oh but, yeah. The guy, um, the sniffer, the guy who could yeah. smell violence. Um, yeah. and he was with them at the beginning. Like he was with Matt when the three yeah. were taking him to Taravalin. Um, yeah. Huron. Huron. That's right. Um, yeah, so we've already met Celine and she, in book two, she's trying to tempt Rand to go get the horn and like talking up to him about all this stuff and glory and, you know, power and that kind of stuff, basically like tempting him to do that. And I'll be by your side the whole time, like trying to appeal to his, cause she's like a beautiful woman and she's trying to appeal to his, um, youthful lusts and stuff. Um, and so now she shows up because now the horn is attached to Matt. And so Celine is now basically like switched to, Oh, now I'm going to go after Matt because now he's aligned with the horn. It seems like that. Um, and so she basically talks to him about, uh, um, getting the horn back. And, um, I can't, I don't know if it's like revealed, like what her motivation is really. Um, no, she's just like the temptress. She like, yeah. I'm going to tempt you. That's not working. Now I'm going to go tempt you. Yeah. <laughs> she just kind of jumps around. Um, and she still doesn't like Aes Sedai. She, it's right? very clear that she prickles every time someone tries to call her Aes Sedai. Um, and she declares that she is not a dark friend, I think. She says that she did right? not stand behind the shadow. Which is a little bit word mincy because um, she says like somebody can stand next to me, but nobody's like above me or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still thinking it's Lanfear. Um, as as Celine, um, because we've heard of her and she's supposed to be. I think she's supposed to be beautiful. I don't know. Um, yeah. 
and she's just like in like in Tarvalin, but she you know you have to be very powerful to walk into Tarvalin and not have any of the Aes Sedai know that you're yeah. there. Like you have to be right. very very powerful. Um, and I had another thought. If it comes back to me, I'll have to say it. Yeah, there's like a difference between what Celine is telling Matt and then what because that after Celine leaves, the Amerlin seat comes in and talks to Matt, and so. So whenever Celine is talking to him, she's like asking him all these questions like, are the Aes Sedai going to tell you this? Are they going to tell you all this stuff? Um, because she's mentions that, uh, you know, his father came and was looking for him and the Amarillan seat sent them all away and all of this stuff. But then whenever he actually talks to the Amarillan seat and he mentions his father, the Amarillan seat is like, oh, yeah, he came by and we didn't know where you were at the time. So we sent him away and we gave him some money so he could get back home. And so like. Celine was trying to set it up of like the Aes Sedai are not on your side and they're going to lie to you and all this stuff. But then whenever yep. it actually comes to him talking to the Amarillan, like the Amarillan seat is truthful to him, uh, with him to a certain extent. And so there's sort of a disconnect of what Celine was trying to tell him about who the Aes Sedai were versus what the Aes Sedai actually uh, show themselves to be. Um, it's but kind I of think like she gets the seed of doubt, right. like she's That's planting right. the seed of doubt in right. in him. Yeah, it's like I was thinking of like the scene in the Garden of Eden where Satan is like, did God really say this? And there's like planting these little seeds of like you could like you don't need to trust what God tells you, essentially. Not that the Amarillan is God, but, you know, it just kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of that scene of like planting the seed of doubt and like the seed of you know, like I can make my own decisions and I don't need to listen to some, to a higher authority that has my best interest at heart. Um, cause the people in Tarvalon and the, and the white tower and the healers, they're like, you need to stay here a little bit longer because we don't know what the effects of the dagger are going to be. You know, you could be fine for, you know, a month. And then maybe after that you have a problem. And if you're gone, then we can't help you and all this stuff. So, but I don't think that the people in the white tower are completely altruistic. Like I do think there's like some kind of self-interest um, because they know that he is attached to the, the horn of Valier, which is a really powerful magical artifact, which can, you know, call armies of past to fight in the present day. So they probably want to keep him around just for that. Um, although they could have mm-hmm. let him die and then they could have given the horn to somebody else. So, you know, there's still another layer of like, they did save his life, but they want to keep him around so that they have access to that power. So there's a ton, ton of layers of like, you know, they're, they're being truthful, but not completely truthful, which is, you know, very, the Aes Sedai that's way. very core to like the Aes Sedai <laughs> way is like, you want to tell not the whole truth, but it's not a lie. So it's like, they're, they're like walking that balance really well. Mm, yeah so that's that's good but yeah that was definitely an interesting scene of just seeing like what Celine is saying and then comparing it to what the Amarillin seat tells Matt later on in the chapter mm-hmm. yeah and it's still hard to see everyone's motivation um, but yeah. yeah that's a apt analogy like you know I use the word temptation and like you're talking right. about the seeds of doubt that um, Celine is, is putting into Matt and then like you know, we yeah. all have the choice. Do we water that seed or do we right. try and pluck it out of ourselves? Yeah. Because, um, you know, half truths and lies can get you believing some weird things. Yep. 
Um, and then, oh yeah, so just real quick about Matt. I love the um, the fight scene with him and Galad. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that was good. Um, so he's like, I don't. He's like weak and he's like tired, but he's like, I'm gonna fight like these two strapping young men who are training to be warders you know like they're at the top of their game and i've been i'm like out of the sick bed for like two hours and just a, and just a farm just, boy and just womps on him <laughs> it's, uh it's galad and who um gawain or something gawain yeah yeah gawain um yeah and yeah i think um Gowen just goes down like in the like he swipes his ankle out then he like pounds him on the head and then he's out for the count and he just like lays a barrage into um Galad and yeah. like hits him and um then there's like all the Aes Sedai are, and accepted are like making rings around Galad are you okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like the ladies man or whatever yeah they all like they're like, oh, it's it's Which like is, time for him to that's go Elaine's, practice. That's Elaine's brother, I think, right? I think they're both her brother, and then one's like a stepbrother. Like they're okay. Like I don't think that they are from the same. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think they're half half brother sister. Um, but yeah, that that was just a fun scene. I really, I I just had to throw that out there. That well, Matt has the uh, he has the dark one's luck now. Mm-hmm. So, because there's still some kind of like, seems like even though he's like detached from the dagger, there's still like a, a piece of that like with him. So I don't know if it's like related to the dark one or not, but that's what somebody says to him because he leaves the White Tower and he goes to out into the into the city and he goes to plays uh, dice. That's like his favorite game to play because he's like a he's a gambler. And uh, he was throwing these dice and he like keeps rolling like the right dice to roll to win. And the, yeah, the guy like, there is it's like, like the six, like all crowns or something. Yeah. And the guy's like there. He have the dark one's luck. And then Matt's like yeah. really offended at this. Um, oh, yeah. But then like throughout the next few chapters, like he's like, maybe I do have the dark one's luck and like all this stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. would. Like, no, just literally think about that. Like, imagine picking up six dice and then rolling them, right. like, time after time and, like, like just hitting all sixes every single time. Like, that's incredible if you're going to go gambling, but there's also something scary in that, like, yeah. I don't have a choice. Like, I don't have a choice. It's, like, right. going to be that every time. Um so that, so that's definitely a little disconcerting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what else with Matt? Um, well, at the end there, he kind of meets up with a uh, good old well, Tom. Not the end. Yeah, at the, what we're concluding at the end of this episode. Good old Tom. Tom Marilyn. He's that's right. A little drunk and performing on stage, and uh, Matt sees him and. Says, uh, where's he going? He's going to Camelin. And yeah. Tom's like, Camelin would fit my mood like a glove. And he's like, I'll Does it, is it just you. me or did uh, Tom seem a lot more like grumpy than he used morose. to be? Morose. Yeah. He seems morose. Yeah. Like he's mourning the death of um, yeah. that woman that loved him in the second book. And yeah. 
she was dead and yeah he he's he's not in a good spot and he's so in book one he saves them and he gets that wound so he's got a limb to the leg and then in book two (laughs) the woman that he loved is killed so like anytime mm-hmm. that he's around these three boys, like something bad happens to his in his life, but yet he still like wants to do the right thing and help Matt, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like he's <clears throat> maybe he's just maybe he hasn't seen the pattern yet, but <laughs> he's yeah. he's still even though he seems more morose as you said, he still kind of does want to do the right thing. Now and was then, it in one of the books or was it in the movie or in the, the TV show Amazon movie. series yeah. where he said that he had a nephew who had like who could channel yeah. um and he yeah, was like trying him. to look after uh yeah and they killed him the I said I well, killed him or they stilled him they and l- then he killed himself I think yeah yeah they gentled him and then uh he lost the will to live and that's why he was like yeah um that's why I wanted to take care of Rand. Was that in the show or was that in the book? I think that was in the book. Well, I think it was in both. Yeah. Maybe actually, okay. I don't think it was in the show. Now that I think about it. Oh, okay. I can't remember. I was thinking it was in the show for some reason. Well, maybe it was. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing about Matt, um, probably before we go back to the girls is cause they give him, um, a sheet of paper, that has the Omerlin seat seal on it that says right. anything that is done by this person is done in my name. Right. And to be that amazing. was given to, yeah, that was given to Nynaeve and she gave it to Matt so that he could be the messenger boy for Elaine and deliver um, a message to Camelin. So yeah, um, that's where... That's how he finds himself get, being able to escape the city. And he's got money now that he's gone down the row of, of taverns and gambled yep. people out of their money. So he's loaded. Um, and that's when he bumps into Tom. And um, Do they get on the boat in this chapter? I forget. Or yeah, in chapter 32, it's the first ship. So I think they just get on the boat. And I think in, I and can't he, remember. In that chapter, they get like this. They get attacked by somebody, some dark friends or something. And Matt, like whips them all up and beats them all up with his quarterstaff. Yeah. I can't remember if that might have been, I don't know if that's in chapter 32 or in one of the later chapters, but I think it'll be for the next podcast. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. But then he just like pays all his gold. Cause he's just won it all um, with his all sixes. He can throw yeah. all crowns and, and win everything. Yeah. Um. All right, so I think we go back to our three, and we can maybe talk about um, their their well, price have, of the ring. Yeah, they have to do their trial of the accepted, like Nynaeve did in uh, book two, where she had to go through those like three um, like stages or phases or whatever. And mm-hmm. what's the phrase they use? Like. Like you have the, to, you have to gateway. like listen. Like the gateway only stays open for so long. You have to pay attention. Yep. Something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but yeah, uh, um, the gateway appears but once. Um, yes, that's right. But once. So those chapters and, are always uh, so, interesting. Just yeah, because you get so to see Egwene, like what. Oh yeah, you can go. Keep going. Yeah, Egwene is is uh, she goes in and she kind of sees herself married to Rand in one of the situations. Um, 
and they yep. have a baby and like that's what she gave up to come to get the ring and she leaves there and um then there's another one uh but the one that's sticking out in my mind is where she is the Omerlin seat and they've captured Rand and he's going to be gentled and somehow Elaine right. um I'm sorry Egwene has not taken the oaths with the oath rod even though she's the Omerlin seat so she was going to like go stop the gentling process and saved Rand and then um she's yep. called back through the gate and then there was this weird like like disturbance in the force almost like she comes out of the gate and like all the Aes Sedai are like sweating and like they were like there was like some weird fluctuations when she was inside um the other place and yeah um they don't know what's going on and it's I something that, that's never happened were they like having before. trouble were they like having trouble keeping the gate open and that's why they were so mm. tired or something like that yeah and um yeah it was just something that had never happened before yeah so. these the second thing that the second phase was she was in some kind of battle and rand was trapped under some rubble but she couldn't like she didn't have the power to get him out and so rand was asking her to just kill him so in all of their and oh, all yeah. of his on all of her phases that they're about rand and she can't save him basically um, mm-hmm. And so it's basically like that whole thing for her is like, she has to let Rand go. I think that's kind of the point of it. Like she can't like keep holding on to the fact that she loves Rand and maybe they'll get married one day. Like that ship has sailed. She has to you know, yep. <laughs> let that go from her, from her mind and like just continue on with life. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. like, if she wants to become like a nice guy, like she has to let that, I, that dream of hers kind of go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think in, in life generally, like if you want certain things to happen in your life, like you have to let go of other things in order for those things to happen. Right. So like (laughs) if you listen to the last podcast, so like I had a baby earlier in the year. And so whenever you have a, like whenever you, if you want to start a family, like you have to let certain parts of your life go in a way so that you can have now have time to do to uh, have a family and, you know, make that a priority in your life. So you can't, you can't do everything that you did whenever you were single or whenever you were, were just a couple or just married, whenever you have a baby, like it's a new level. And so you have to let certain parts of yourself die or certain things that you used to do. You have to like give them, give them up um, for at least, at least for a season potentially so that you can take on this new chapter of your life. So there is like, there is a, definitely a sense of, uh, like this speaks to something that happens in real life where a new chapter has to start in somebody's life. And so they have to let go of things that were uh, in their past. So I don't know. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, just you have the right perspective and the right approach that you need to change. And there are many fathers out there that do not see that. I see, um, grown uh, men like usually grown adult males that are just like they have kids at home they're like yeah let's stay out late let's party let's drink like like pretend like nothing has changed like right let's go um do whatever i'm into be it sports be it drinking be it you know going to live music and there's no there's no change and um 
like it's so important that you invest in your children and like uh, there's so many people that and some people just don't even have a choice like there's single moms like I just I cannot imagine being a single parent like yeah. I depend on my wife so yeah. much um, she is so good uh, with our daughter and I just can't imagine working a full day like or working like two jobs like finding you know care for the kid and then like come home like make dinner do dishes go to bed rinse repeat on and on just constantly without a relief like it is so good to be part of a family unit that takes care of that and Dude. yeah so I just think that you have the right perspective Tyler that you you are giving up yourself you're being a servant to your kid because they can't take care of themselves and you're investing in their life and that's what god wants you to do and it does require you to grow and change um and like you said let parts of yourself die like <laughs> i think that's a little like <laughs> like i said in the last podcast like those things come back like yeah. you know but you do have to like you know god asks you to like kill the part of yourself that's not of him and right. um like for our kids you know you do have to give up things and when yeah. the time is right those things can come back into your life and yeah um yeah well, i was so i was thinking right perspective i was thinking more along the lines of like the parts of yourself that need to die are like selfishness like whenever yeah. you get married especially like you like you can be selfish if you, whenever you're married, but may, your marriage probably won't last that long if you're only concerned about yourself. Right. So I, th mm -hmm. I do think there is still like parts of yourself that should die in a sense, or at least they probably will never be completely dead because we're still of a sinful nature. Um, but we should do the best that we can to like st strip ourselves of those things that we like want to cling to uh, because it's, you know, helps us. It doesn't help somebody else. Like we want what we want to do. Right. And not if it helps somebody else, like it's not really in our best interest to, you know, do those other things, but yeah. So that's yeah, kind that's of what like I was the saying. Process. Yeah. It's the process of, um, the releasing of sin is, um, the process of sanctification. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we are, we do well in sanctifying, like giving up those sins, giving them to God. And sometimes we don't do so well. Yeah. We kind of stagnate. Um, yeah, we should always be trying to get sin out of our life. Um, and uh, I lost it, but that's okay. That's okay. That was a good, good little Bible side sidebar there, though. So we do yeah. talk about things from a Christian or biblical perspective. So. That is a. Uh, I think we're good. doing a good job this episode. We're yeah, a little rusty, so. but we're still. I think yeah. God has shown up in this conversation. Indeed. Um, yeah. So uh, let's skip a little bit because we're kind of we've been recording for a while here. So let's talk a little bit about the Teloran Riyadh. Um, I ran Riyadh. Yeah. So one of the things, so they're the girls are tasked with uh, tracking down the Black Aja. And so one of the things that they get to do is they get to go and, uh, you know, talk to some of the, uh, the history people. Was it, is it Varen that they talked to about, she has this like little scroll thing that they get to, and she reads it to them about Varen definitely is involved. Um, and then, they, but they also get access to like, 
either a room or like a list of things that were taken from the White Tower. I forget where that happens. In, yeah, in so they're like a list of Te Angrioles and Se Angrioles, which are things that the Aes Sedai used to like increase their power whenever they're channeling. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it's the Se Sa Angrioles or the Te Angrioles, but one of them is used for like a, like a specific item is used for a specific purpose. And then one of them is like just to basically increase your power as an Aes Sedai. Um, I can't remember which one is which, but uh, anyways, so Egwene gets this either Te Angriel or Sa Angriel. I can't remember which one. Um, and that is going to help her basically be able to, cause they think she might be a dream walker. And so giving her this, this uh, magical item is going to allow her to uh, like cultivate that kind of potential in her as an Aes Sedai and so that she can, you know, explore things. Dream walk. Yeah. And there was something um, kind of uh, uh, like not nefarious, like potentially bad about that where like you can get stuck in there or things that happen in the dream world to you can happen to you in real life. Mm -hmm. And so if you Mm -hmm. potentially die there that you could never wake up. And so there's a lot of potential risks in using this magical artifact. Um, And so like any time that they use it, they have like Elaine and Nynaeve are like (laughs) right there, like watching her sleep essentially. Um, it's it's like a weird picture of them. Like, I'm like, Egwene, how can you just always fall asleep whenever these two women are just like staring at you? Um, I just (laughs) thought it was comical. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What did you think about just like the idea of dream walking and, uh, just that whole thing? Cause there's some interesting scenes where she gets to meet some people and talk to some different people and yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it is definitely like an interesting, um, concept that, there's a place where um like you're kind of, you're kind of tapping into like a collective unconscious well maybe that's not the right way to say it but like um yeah. you're you're in a common dream space um, right. and that and that the things are um things that can be real there because when we dream you know it's obviously um and and the function of dreams is still debated today. People right. think it's like a memory dump, like they mean nothing. Uh, some people think that, you know, like yeah. I said, the unconscious mind is speaking to you. But there are not really that many cases where people have like shared dream experiences. Um, right. Of course, I've heard I've heard stories on podcasts that I've listened to of people having like the same dream and being in different places and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely not the common thing. But yeah, so it's interesting that um, Elaine, uh, Egwene, sorry, can is it wait, Egwene, Egwene, yeah, yeah, Egwene goes into Teleron Riyadh, um, that she can go there and access, um, and she, it's also a source of information for her. It's almost yeah, like she sure. can like <clears throat> like tap in and like see people um, and what they're doing. Yep. Um, a book that I want us um, to read is uh, the Brothers Cabal, mm-hmm. and I think the third book deals with like the dream dream world. Um, yeah, I think the first one, the first book in that series is um, Johannes Cabal, the Necromancer. Is I think the title of the first book. It's um, it's it's good. 
I, I enjoy those books. <laughs> cool. We'll put it on the list. Put it on the list. Yep. Um, the other interesting thing about the Teleran Riyadh is I think Perrin is also able to kind of access the same thing with his wolf dreams because mm-hmm. there's a scene, I think it's um, like right before we cut away. Because I think, yeah, chapter nine, he has the wolf dreams. Or no, it's chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's chapter nine. Um, but I think he sees uh, one of the Forsaken in there. And she like looks up at him and he's like, they're like, what? You can't be in here. What are you doing? Like, how did you get in here? Basically. Um, yeah. And so I think he has some kind of he has a similar kind of uh, power. It's but it's not through the one power. It's through this other wolf type of magic. Um, yeah. But it's a similar type of like, he's accessing the same space. It's just Egwene is yes. doing it through her, her one power with her angry all and parent is doing it, accessing it through a different, different means. Um, but it's, it's the same like dream space that they're both going to at the same time. Um, which is interesting. Like, cause they could potentially like, they could dream together and they could have like secret conversations across like large distances. It seems like, so it could be like an interesting thing uh, for future books where they could like maybe have conversations, even I, though they're you know you, hundreds of miles away or whatever. I think you're predicting the future there. I think my <laughs> brain is telling me that that may happen. We will go there in a, in a future book. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, so we can look forward to that. Um, yeah uh that's I, that's basically yeah, where think, we're stopping um yeah that we leave think, off with uh, the with the girls as they you know they give matt the quest to go back to camelin and give this thing to back to the elaine's mother and <laughs> matt's like yes i will do it uh if it's the last thing i ever do <laughs> basically he was like i will do this quest even if it kills me um and then they are off to go to tier to basically confront the black Aja because during whenever they were in the Tela, when Igwe was in the Tela Anriad, I think she had, was able to see that that's where they were going um, because the mm-hmm. sword of Kalandor is there. And uh, there is something brewing down there uh, where everything will converge, but we will talk about that in the, in the next episode. There you go. That was part one of the dragon reborn. Uh, I've I've just I've really been loving Wheel of Time. It's definitely good story, good characters. Um I love the different types of magic that's happening and even like with the dream stuff is really interesting. Um so yeah, just a lot of cool stuff happening. Um <clears throat> I do sometimes feel like this is like the Wheel of Time is such a slow burn type of series. Like there's not a lot of uh, like action scenes it's a lot of like learning information world building yeah learning information world building bouncing between different characters political so, intrigue yeah um yeah so it, yeah it's definitely a specific type of fantasy and it's not like a not a fast-paced action type of series for sure so sometimes i get a little bit bogged down in these books because they're there's yeah. nothing, sometimes there's just not really a lot of stuff that's like 
wow, that was so cool. It's more of like, wow, that was interesting. Or that's like an interesting little tidbit here and there. And it's a lot of like yeah. trying to connect the things that are happening in this book and connecting them to things that happened in the previous books and maybe trying to predict like how would that affect things that happen later on. So it's a lot of like um, plot narrative and stuff and less of like crazy action thing happened. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where yeah, I'm at real time. Yeah. And, and I like the way that you said that because, you know, when we do the podcast and we kind of retell the, the part of the book that we just went through, um, like we, we get to kind of make these connections. You know, we're talking about Telayren Riyadh and like Perrin's wolf dreams can take him there. And, yep. you know, that's kind of things that like you get them in such tidbits, but then it's interesting to go back and kind of weave them together. Um, right. Yeah. Um, different pace than um, like... Uh, powder mage brian yeah brian mcclellan yeah i like but i like the powder mage because of that like you're you're being plunged into action a lot yeah um they're definitely different reads i mean um but yeah if you're not a strong reader like i'm not the best reader of of texts like i am really thankful for the um books on tape because i can kind of plow through the parts that are that are just kind of like ho-hum like (laughs) that's really helpful for me um yeah I must say, but that's also why I have to like re-listen to things several times because like I have to yeah. be in the right headspace to absorb the information and I'm going to make an effort to do what you're doing and take more notes as I go through and um, be able to refer yeah. back. I'm definitely more of like that's- a slow reader. Like I, like I only read, I read the book one time and so like, and like I'll go back and like look at certain things, but like because I read a lot slower than I'm more, I'm like more focused whenever I read. I'm like, I'm like looking for stuff more, uh, as mm-hmm. I read. Um, so, but that just makes me, I can't read as many books as like other people might. Um, cause I'm a little bit more methodical. Um, cause I find that like, if I, like, if I'm not paying attention I'm like, you know, I kind of, how you're kind of like half reading you're like wait what did i just read i don't even remember what just happened Correct. in that scene and then you have to like go back and reread it um mm-hmm. but you'd be happy i am doing an audible book right now oh uh, i got a uh, have you ever have you ever heard of the youtuber uh shadowversity no he does like videos on um like medieval uh, sword play and castles and armor and stuff like that and it's like oh, talks about cool. like the historical stuff and like how were certain things used and what would be good in a fight and you know that kind of stuff and then he analyzes like fight scenes from movies and stuff and like was this accurate like how would it how should that how would if this have happened in real life stuff like that um, but he has a book oh, cool. uh, that came out was it last year or two years ago or something like that it's called shadow of the conqueror and so i'm maybe like 25% of the way through right now listening on audible. So, cause he said, he said the best way to experience my book is on audible. So that's, that's what I picked up. So it's oh, been good. Cool. So that will be yeah. a recommendation for me. I haven't finished it yet. So I don't know if the ending is good or not, but so far it's interesting. So oh, that's my, nice. that's, that's my plug for the, for the podcast. Nice. Um, awesome. So that's going to do it for this episode uh in the next episode we're going to continue with dragon reborn we're going to finish the book so that'll be chapters uh 33 to 56 
Uh, if you want to find out more stuff about Pages of Light, you can go to our website, pagesoflight.com. You can also follow us on social media. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button down there and leave a comment. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are on book three of Wheel of Time and uh, what you're predicting for the rest of the series if you haven't read it. And if you have read it, please don't spoil anything for us because that would be no fun. Um, cool, yeah, and links for everything will be in the description if you want to buy the book. And then I'll try to link that little article that I talked about on uh, the dreams. And yeah, that is going to do it. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast on audio if you want to, and you can leave us a review uh, so we can, more people can find the podcast and yeah, Gabe, you have any last thoughts on wheel of time or anything else? Um, no, I'm ready for, uh, I'm getting ready for our next recording section already. I'm just going to plug up the second half of the book and just go through it one or two more times and I'll be nice. ready. Awesome. Cool. Well, we will see you guys there. Uh, hope to see you in the next episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And we will see you in the next episode. See you.